Hello and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. Today's episode features an interview with Michael O'Rourke, Senior Vice President of Machine Intelligence and Data Services Technology at NASDAQ. Michael is a very experienced technologist with over 20 years of experience in the field. On this episode, he talks about deploying AI to detect stock market abuse, NASDAQ's innovation in the alternative data space, rising AI expectations from consumers, and much more. So please enjoy this conversation between Michael O'Rourke and your host, Steve Hamm. Afternoon, Michael. It's good to have you on the podcast. Thanks, yeah. Great to be here. Now, everybody knows what NASDAQ's core business is, but it might be helpful if you describe kind of the key dimensions of the business and also the role that you play there. Sure. I I think it's probably important to say that NASDAQ is really a technology and data company at heart, right? Everybody thinks of us as NASDAQ is, you know, the market, but really we we are a technology and data company that happen to use that really so that companies can raise capital and we can grow the economy. And we use that technology and data to create markets to bring you know, investors and traders together. And then we use that technology that we use to build our 27 markets and in order to create an ecosystem and then fuel markets around the globe. So we run over 100 markets globally with the same technology and really created an ecosystem uh, around that. Yeah. Now, the, the markets around the world, are you the provider of the technology platform or do you also, is it your market? Well, 27 markets we own and operate. And that's both here in the US as well in the Nordic region. But most of the markets actually that we, you know, that run our technology are not our own. There are more, tech, there are more markets you know, that where we provide the technology, but they, they're operated and owned by others. Yeah, yeah. And please, what is your role with the company? So I run AI uh, and data services. So you could think of that as I'm responsible for building data technologies, really to unlock the, the capabilities of the data, make it available uh, to customers, create insights on top of that data. And then we have a, an AI lab which is how can we use that data in order to create better products and services for customers. So really anything AI and data related, whether it's market data, pricing data that come out, you know, as the exhaust from our markets or creating indexes uh, that are, you know, create investable instruments mm-hmm. all the way to AI that surveils the market. Yeah. And I think it might be helpful too, if you describe kind of the array of your customers, because they, you point in different directions. That's true. So, you know, maybe I'll first start with corporates. So you think about companies that would come to NASDAQ to raise capital so that they can grow their company. So that's an important part of our business, kind of that's kind of at the center of it, where uh, you companies come, they list on NASDAQ, they raise capital. And then we have the, the markets, uh, which bring in traders and investors. So you've got the, the corporates themselves and services that we provide to them to better understand what's going on in the market with their tradable asset as well as listings. And then you have uh, traders and then investors. And those investors can be uh, you know, asset managers or asset owners as well as you know, retail customers. Right, right, gotcha. Now, I noticed from your resume that you arrived at NASDAQ just in time for the dot-com boom and bust. And now here we are in the, in the middle of another kind of crazy time in the markets. 
what lessons have you learned from both of these experiences about the markets and about technology? Well, I think there's kind of lessons learned from, yeah, both, both the boom and the bust. That was probably, yeah, it was like 20 years ago. So I was uh, much younger in my career. But I think what, what we really saw was the effect that emergent technology can have, you know, from a positive impact. We saw just this massive influx of new companies being created, new ideas being had on how they could use, um, you know, at the time it was the internet uh, had taken off and everyone was seeing the value of that technology, how it would be applied and how it was going to change, you know, society and the economy. And now you can see the top five companies in the world are not the top five companies that they were back then. They're technology companies and they happen to list at NASDAQ. So really, I think that showed just the, the kind of power that an emergent uh, technology can have. But I also think we learned lessons from the bust, uh, which was not every idea around that technology is really something that we should, that should be followed and that should, uh, should be invested in. And so, you know, we've had a lot of emergent technologies that have come out in the last, you know, even five years. And while we see an influx of those companies, like for instance, AI is really taking off right now. Data companies, big data companies and cloud-based, you know, companies that leverage cloud-based technologies are taking off. But we're seeing it in, in a way that's much uh, more educated, right? It's not everyone who has an AI company, you know, gets invested in or get that those ideas get followed through. Really, they, they, they look at it and say, you know, it's got to it's gotta pass some level of muster. It's got to have good financials and these need to be solid ideas. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, these new kind of the effects that when new technologies come out, both people realize it more quickly, but also are, are more aware at the risk they're taking. Yeah. Now, how, how has NASDAQ's own technology, its platform technology and its analytics technology changed from the time when you first joined? Well, I would say, you know, at first it had started to change in just the, the throughput, the amount of transactions that we have to, to handle, you know, going from thousands a second to millions to multiple millions of messages per second, you know, within the systems. We also saw the, the latency expectations really, they, you know, the, the expectation that the amount of time it takes to transact a trade and receive a quote really was quite uh, low. They, they would expect it in a number of microseconds. And so we saw our systems becoming more and more efficient and able to handle the influx of new participants in the market and the new type of trading in the markets. But you know, with, with that, I think even more recently, what we're seeing is the type of products that people want so now it's just table stakes. Obviously, uh, your trading systems are going to be able to handle just massive amounts of information uh, and handle ma- massive amounts of transactions per second at a very low latency. That's table stakes. And now what we're seeing is our, you know, the systems and expectations from clients are that they are more intelligent and that they're being, they're being given insights to better understand not only what they're investing in. So if you're an investor, understanding that tradable asset and information analytics around that. But also if you're a trader, having more information available and insights available so that you know where, you know, where to route the data, uh, where you can get best price, things like that. Now, do you provide insights 
for your customers or you just provide them raw data about transactions and other elements? Well, we do both. So really, you know, there are some customers that, that just want the, the raw data and they're going to build their own custom you know, data warehouses and analytics and that, that perhaps will end up being their secret sauce. But there are many things that we've commoditized for the financial community because, you know, it's really needed across the market. And so those are things that we look to provide where, you know, how can we make it easier to access data? And then how do we provide analytics that most of the, you know, the trading and investing communities, you know, would expect to have. And do you provide them with dashboards and things like that? Sure. I mean, you can look at like, for instance, uh, we purchased several years back uh, a company called Evestment, and they have analytics for asset owners and asset managers. They can go in and look at these portfolios and they can see charts, they can see information, analytics about, uh, about those assets and about you know, their portfolios. Similarly, you know, with, uh, we have another investment we did with Dorsey Wright, where you can see advisors can log in and they can see charts and analytics and dashboards and whatnot so that they can better understand where they might be making or where they should invest their money. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, I've read that last year, NASDAQ began deploying AI to detect stock market abuse. Tell us about that. What was the problem you were trying to address and, and how did AI help you address it? Yeah, that's one of those areas that, you know, when we started thinking about it, it almost seems obvious that AI could do this pretty efficiently, you know, and better than a, than a human could, certainly. So today, what we have, or, or let's say pre-deploying our AI technology, we had algorithms that would look for illicit trading and their parameters that you set in order to try to capture these illicit activities. And so illicit activity, meaning if someone like insider trading would be an illicit activity, or if you're trying to front run the market, or if you're trying to spoof the market, you're, you're trying to manipulate the market in some way. So like perhaps giving them a signal that everyone's selling right now, and then you go and buy, right? So they're trying to manipulate the market. And so we have algorithms uh, that actually quite effectively find these type of activities, but we wanted to, to see, you know, that kind of our hypothesis was, could AI be more dynamic in catching these type of illicit activities. So, so whereas to, you know, prior to that, you would kind of tweak different parameters and settings and during different market conditions, you might want to set different thresholds to be able to catch these things. The AI could be more dynamic. And so as people are interacting with the market, coming up with new novel ways of manipulating it and trying to get away with, with market manipulation, um, the AI and machine learning models um, could then just cope with that and take that into consideration and adapt and learn. So the AI would spot new anomalous patterns that you may not have been aware of before. So you didn't set it up to, to spot those, but it spotted them and alerts you. Is that the way it works? Yeah. I mean, essentially we teach it like you would teach an analyst, right? So what we do is we say, we give it examples and we say, here's an example of what spoofing looks like. And we give them, you know, several labeled examples. And, and then we, we train the model to now be able to find that. And what it can do is it could be more flexible about what that looks like. So for instance, if an example happened within a, a two minute window, it could say, well, actually I'm seeing the same behavior, but it's happening over a 
five minute window or a 30 second window. So we don't have to account for every single variable there. It could be more, more adaptive. Now, has the technology worked the way you had hoped? I would say in the beginning, it didn't. <laughs> so we had a lot of lessons learned. You know, we made our first deep learning models back a few years ago. And what we found was, you know, we, we started training them as I had described, giving them some examples, you train the model. And we had some positive results at first. And then when we, when market conditions changed, or we tried it on a new market, all of a sudden the models would fall apart. They'd be very brittle. Right. And what we realized was we needed a better way to make these kind of robust deep learning models. And we, that's where we, we you know, kind of had the aha moment and started using transfer learning and human-in-the-loop learning where we would train a model not just on one market in one scenario and one set of volume, but rather training it on multiple different markets and then transfer the learning from one to the next. So you train it on six different equity markets or, you know, several different equity markets, and then you move it over to commodities, move it over to derivatives, and you start getting a model that is much more robust and can handle changes in kind of market activity much better. And so today our models are, are far better about finding illicit activities uh, than before, but also better at keeping the number of like false positives down. Oh, yeah. So like when it says that this is an illicit activity, it's more likely that the AI knows, you know, it kind of puts, puts forth better cases. So uh, whenever you get alerted that it may be illicit activity, you have to investigate and that's an investment. So you don't want to have, you don't want to have to do that too much when it's a false positive, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's going to end up being probably our, our next investment in AI is actually in the investigation portion as well, because it's, that's obviously an area where it could start to put a case together and say, well, this isn't the first time this person has done that. Right. right. They've repetitively done that across these, you know, different markets, different ports. So what are some of the other uses that you're putting AI to? So some of the other areas, I would say one of the more exciting areas would be in the, in the alternative data space. So think not data coming directly out of the market, but that is useful for understanding in a financial, you know, a tradable instrument. So meaning like things like, I'll give you an example. Traditionally, we would use trades and quotes. Like, so you, you know, what are people asking for a particular security? So if I wanted to buy... Uh, so let's say Ford, I would look to say, what did it last trade at? What are people willing to buy and sell it for right now? And then you would have your fundamental data. So like your, the 10Ks, 10Qs, or your earnings reports that come out. And you say, okay, I can see their financials and I can see what, what the market sentiment is by looking at the price and you'd make a de determination. But with alternative data, and that's really uh, you know, kind of taking off, you could look at other types of data to better understand that asset. So for instance, for Ford, you might say, well, I don't want to have to wait until quarterly earnings in order to know how you're doing. So what I could look at is perhaps, you know, number of insurance policies being opened, you know, for Ford vehicles. Right. And then I might say, well, also, how about just number of car insurance policies being opened in general? So how is the market doing versus how are, you know, is Ford doing? Now kind of give me a, a better understanding of what's going on before the the earning report comes out. So that's a case where though it, we use AI in order to 
take those alternative data sets and then link and transform it into something that's understandable that you can kind of relate one to the other. And in this case, you're, you're doing it on behalf of one class of customer, the investor class, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, more or less. I, I think it's also very useful for corporates, though, too. Mm-hmm. In many cases, uh, the corporates themselves, the companies themselves, will, you know, they might want to see, well, how are my competitors doing? You know, how am I doing versus my competitors? And, uh, you know, why is my stock price behaving the way it is? And some of this alternative data can be useful to, uh, you know, to like a CFO or something that wants to understand what's going on with their, their stock in the market. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the huge trends over the past 15 years or so in computing has been cloud computing. And I wanted to find out, are are you migrating a lot of your data and computing to the cloud these days? Yeah, I I would say that's kind of our first foray into the public cloud was really around data, right? So it's like we put the data there first. I would say, you know, years ago it was pro for more non-critical batch-oriented type processing where you put the data out there and you run some processing on it. Then it moved up to critical, you know, kind of end-of-day batch processing. And now we put most of our data in the public cloud at some point because it's so much easier to run our analytics, to run insights off of that. So really what we've seen is almost most of the company's data has had a, you know, a pretty fast shift to the cloud where if you're building a new application even is kind of defaults to being in the cloud and you have to come up with some reason why you would have some on-prem instance for it. Yeah. The script has flipped, I guess. Right. Yeah. When and why did you become a Snowflake customer and how are you using the Snowflake technology? Sure. So, you know, we've been working with Snowflake for probably what over a year now and it had a lot to do with the fact that we are moving our data into the cloud. So as we go to either build out new new platforms or to to refresh, do a technology refresh on existing platforms, and we are moving to the cloud, we're looking for a better data solution. So, like for instance, some of our you know existing applications where we're using things like you know one of our applications uses like forty plus MySQL servers, mm. and you know in order to try to scale the you know the the data. Uh, Snowflake provided a much better and elegant solution for scaling as well as uh, native cloud support. So that was really, you know, kind of an obvious choice for some of the some of those type of use cases where, you know, we really like having that SQL access, and we've got multiple consumers of the data, but our we'd like to run it in the cloud, and we also, in a lot of our use cases, are ephemeral in nature. So like the markets are running from nine to four, and we have lots of transactions and lots of things going on during that period of time, and then not so much on the out of hours. So in certain days, we have lots of volume. You know, if there's news in the market, you could have many multitudes uh, of volume than, you know, the day prior. And so we need much more compute. So we really needed something that, that was elastic and could scale from day to day. So we're not paying for two times the, you know, the most we've ever seen, we really have something that can kind of grow as we need it to. So what kind of data and what kind of applications are you using Snowflake for? So, you know, there are quite a few things that we're, we're looking, you know, we've, we use Snowflake for and that we're working with Snowflake, one of which is really in, in the information security area. So if you think about, we have 
logs and information coming off of many different systems, network devices, and they're all coming into, you know, they all have their own logs. And so when you try to run a forensic analysis on a particular scenario, you've got to now try to bring all this data from many different sources, many different systems together. So that's one of the use cases that we think Snowflake really adds value in that we can bring all of these different data sources together and into a centralized data warehouse in the cloud and then be able to run a forensics analysis in one system and you know, be able to gra- kind of track things down, see anomalies and investigate a lot faster. Are you using it for AI apps? So really, almost everything is becoming an AI use case, uh, if you think about it. So um, anywhere where we have a plethora of data, you know, there's generally a case, right? You know, you think about expectations uh, of users um, are really starting to increase when it comes to that. So like, for instance, we're, we're looking at it in the CRM area for customer data, as soon as you have information about your customers and now you're storing the, you know, several different systems all together, then the very next step is, okay, how do I get better insights about my customers and understand them better? And so you end up applying AI. Yeah. So I do think it's really becoming almost synonymous. If you have great data that is useful, then you're probably going to end up applying AI at some point. So most AI programs, as I understand it, that run on the public cloud use conventional CPUs. Do you think that this is going to shift to GPUs and other accelerators for some tasks? So I would say that is that shift has already occurred to a large extent. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you were to, like, if you were to talk to, to Google, actually talk to them right now, they would talk to you about how they've got TPU technology, mm-hmm. tensor processing units, and those are specific for, for AI use cases. And it used to be that if you had a particularly difficult workload that was taking a long, you know, long period of time, that you would deploy TPUs to speed that up. And if you're using you know, another cloud provider, you'd use uh, like NVIDIA's GPUs to speed that up. That's really not the case anymore. What, what people are doing is saying, if I, am, if I am training my models, I'm going to use TPUs, I'm going to use GPUs because it's faster. And, and since you know these are available in the cloud, and I can I can use these in an ephemeral way, if it takes me you know a quarter of the amount of time to train my model because I've used these these processors, well then I, I'm probably I might even save money. So I get my results faster, and I'm going to save money. So I think that, that it's really starting to become ubiquitous. That if you were you know if your department is serious about machine learning or deep learning, that you're already using those those type of uh, processors. So it's already it's coming it's becoming the default, and it's almost becoming commodity processing. It's 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 so available and so widely used. It sounds like, yeah, yeah. that's right. I mean, every cloud provider has the option for for GPUs, and and then Google specifically has uh, the option for TPUs. Mm-hmm. Now we're speaking in the in the midst of this the COVID crisis, and also you know we've got economic problems, we've got instability, uncertainty. How has NASDAQ used data and data analytics to respond to this crisis, either on its own behalf or on behalf of its customers? Sure. Well, you know, you think about during the crisis, you know, our priority, number one, is keeping our our people safe. And in order to do that, we really, you know, wanted to understand 
what's going on. We run a global company and uh, we've got offices all over the globe. And so the, the difference is where the virus is having impact and the type of impact was varied uh, across the globe. So, you know, our risk management and our facilities team actually did an actually wonderful job working with us in technology to bring data together. We're, you know, we're looking at what the CDC is putting out, the local go- kind of governments are putting out as well as like John Hopkins data, bringing that together. And we actually have a, you know, a dashboard where we can see what's going on in different locations and try to understand when is it safe for people to, to come into work. We've also used it to, you know, bring data, just, you know, we survey uh, our employees and say, you know, what are your concerns? What are you seeing? And uh, what do you think about, you know, your ability to work remotely and, in, and your wants and needs about returning to the office? So we've been able to collect all of that data and then um, even apply AI to that as well. So we applied AI to that data to be able to understand the sentiment for, for different questions that we did, as well as doing like NLP analysis, right? When you get like 6,000 comments back from for a particular question, it takes time to read through each one of those. So we used you know, NLP in order to just kind of consolidate those and say, okay, what are the main themes what are the main concerns in different locations and then give us more time to be able to get through those comments. You know, it's, it's really amazing when I look at the world of AI back, I, I worked for IBM for a number of years and I was a writer there and, and wrote a book with John Kelly, the head of, who was then the head of, of IBM research called the smart machines. And it was really about how their, their Watson technology was kind of moved from the lab to the TV show and in starting to be into business and, and healthcare and stuff like that. At that time, you know, I think there was a lot of natural language processing. There wasn't a lot of sophisticated AI being used in business, I don't think. I think maybe, you know, security agencies were, were doing more. But, you know, it's just been this explosion over the last few years where it's really permeating. I mean, I saw a quote, in fact, one of our previous podcast guests referred to the fact that Mark Andreessen, you know, the, the, the VC, mm-hmm. in the 90s, he made the comment that software was eating the world. And I think it's NVIDIA CEO uh, Jensen Wang more recently commented that AI is eating software. So I wanted to see, I mean, that's a very provocative statement. Do you agree with that? And, and where do you see AI going? Well, first, I'll, let me say I do agree with it. And I agree with it because I think what we're seeing is like this compounding innovation, right? So I think Mark Andreessen was, was right, right? Software is eating the world. And then later, I think you've probably heard the comment that uh, data is the new oil. Yeah. Right? So as people are digitizing their businesses and every company is becoming a technology company, data is coming into play. Then I think the next logical step is, well, once I've digitized my business and I have all of this data, AI is now going to be one really a, the focus for how do I make more intelligent, better applications and better services for my customers. So I think, you know, you, you see that those comments are really compounding. And uh, I think, you know, you asked me, where do I see things going? I think the expectations from consumers are, are changing pretty rapidly. AI is being applied, I would say, in the kind of in the consumer space. You know, we're seeing it uh, anywhere from search to maps to, you know, almost any app on your iPhone has got some AI built in. And those are all consumer apps. 
and in the the enterprise, AI has been mostly uh, very targeted for specific use cases in which it provided value. But I think you know those the users quickly now attribute, well, I have this functionality within the commercial space, the consumer space, I would expect that my enterprise apps would be just as smart. I know these capabilities exist. And so the expectations start to, to go up. For example, you know, you log on to amazon.com and you look up a product and you're like, okay, I think I'm going to make a, a buying decision. They let you know, well, here are other products like that product. And here are other products that might go well with that product. But if you log on your trading application, you know, and you're, you're say, for instance, you bring on Exxon and you're looking at that, you generally are not given, well, if you're interested in buying Amazon, here are other oil companies that, you know, have a similar profile. But I would expect that pretty soon those type of things are going to become commonplace where they might say, not only here are some of the competitors that Exxon might want to look at, but also maybe this is an indication that you think the price of oil is going to go up and this is an area of investment. Maybe you should be actually making a position in oil futures instead. So they might be able to suggest other types of instruments that you'd even invest in. So I think we're going to see, yeah, that'd be more ubiquitous. So Michael, looking out five years or more, let's have you put on your visionary hat. How do you see AI transforming business and particular financial markets? Well, I would say first that I think that Technology is going to impact markets in general, meaning not just financial markets, but markets. If you look at, like if you were to buy advertising space, the price that you pay for advertising space, whether it's on a a social media platform or a a web search site, that's all set by machine learning and AI um, because there's way too many scenarios to be contemplated in order to come up with what's the proper price for you to pay. And I think we're going to see, and we are already starting to see, that that's being applied more broadly across society. Even so, things like you know, StockX is using AI technology in order to figure out how to price things all the way down to like sneakers and apparel, or we're seeing you know SeatGeek is using it for events, and you know, and so if I wanted to to buy or sell, you know, um, concert tickets or something. So I think we're seeing the digitization of markets and the use of AI in markets for pricing. And I think that's just going to start to extend even further. And that's, you know, obviously an area that NASDAQ is quite interested in. and, And we're, you know, that's where we provide technology. I think also in the financial markets, the bar for the information that we use to trade and invest is, is being raised. And so, you know, we talked about earlier about, you know, people using trade data and quote data and whatnot in order to make decisions and being able to use fundamental data. The, I think the, the table stakes for investing in different companies in, in different portfolios, I think is, is raising pretty dramatically where, it's, you know, if you're not using alternative data, if you don't fully understand what's going on with that company on a week by week, day by day basis, then you're almost being irresponsible, right? So like data that last year was novel and it was like, wow, I can't believe we're using this, this data and you know, you're using this AI in order to, to kind of make better investment decisions. Those are starting to move into the, if you are a responsible investor, you will, you, you will be right. using that type of data. 
And so all these types of data are being used. And in almost every case in the markets, AI is being applied to make sense of that data. Is that what you're saying? I, I would say that today, AI is not being used in every case. And, right. and today, it's being used in some cases and analytics are being used. I think increasingly, we're finding that new, new algorithms, new techniques are making it possible to apply AI in areas that we couldn't before. And what we're seeing is that it's being kind of, at first, it's being used in more and more areas uh, throughout financial markets. So it's kind of going across and being more broad as the type of use cases. And we generally see them being used at the more sophisticated companies, the larger companies um, that have the money to invest in these type of technologies. But then what we're seeing is that now it's, it starts to move down and they, the, these things start to become commoditized to the point where every investor gets access to those things. You know, I read an article a while back. It was in Harvard Business Review and it was some, it was basically the theme was that data scientists, data science is going to be the sexiest occupation of the future, this kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I think that's already kind of happened. But it seems to me that maybe your job may be the sexiest job of, the, of right now. I mean, the, you know, there are a number of people who are bringing AI to bear in their enterprises, kind of in every, you know, looking in every direction and putting it to work. And it seems to me that this is one of the, you know, one of the most exciting jobs and most important jobs in, in the economy today. So how are you feeling about what you do? Well, I feel very lucky. It's just, you know, the technology is evolving so quickly and what we're doing is, is just so interesting that, you know, that it really is a pleasure, right? To come in every day and you talk to these really smart data scientists and data engineers and being able to think about how do we transform these products and how do we transform the company, you know, using all this technology. So it's a very fun time to be in. It's kind of odd that, you know, we're in a time where we can see the capabilities of the technology that's readily available right now. Like you don't have to think about necessarily even technology that will be available in five years. Just the tech that's available now and how it could be used in, you know, in transforming these businesses is just huge. It, does, it doesn't take a whole lot to say, wow, if we were to do this and build that and then have this, all of those technologies could compound to make a product that is just absolutely amazing. And that's gonna be, you know, the way these, products and services look today are going to be much different than, you know, just a few years from now. Well, Michael, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I mean, you know, the stories you've told, the insights we've gotten from you are really fascinating. You know, we've seen how far AI has come in half a decade. It's just amazing to think about the kinds of things you guys will be doing in the enterprise and others will be doing in consumer technologies in the, in the next half decade. It's, it's, it's almost mind-bending to think about it. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks. It was great to be here. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com slash data dash cloud dash world dash tour.